welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome everybody to Wood Talk number 226 for March 9th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about an emergency safety alert for your shop, how long should that table stretcher be, and SketchUp cut lists. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso Hardware is a proud sponsor of Wood Talk again for 2015. As a special discount for new customers, Wood Talk listeners can use the coupon code WT2015 for 10% off all of your orders at Brusso.com and go pick up some fantastic hardware, put it in your project, even if it's a crappy project. If you put that stuff in it, people are going to be like, ooh, ah. It's it so does, heavy. actually. You know, do you think they like change the 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 metallurgy of the brass and just make <laughs> they it must. denser because they that must. stuff's beefy, man. It kind of lets got, you know how cr- how like cheesy and cheap a lot of the other hardware right. out there is. Like they do it on purpose just to make everyone else look bad. You yeah. know, there's an extra ounce in each one of their hinges <laughs> just just for effect. Right, right. And uh, you know, we'd also like to give a special thanks to some individuals who helped us out by supporting us at US Wood Talk. Force. Yes, those guys. They're always supporting the background noise of the show. And uh, if you go to woodtalkshow.com, look over on the left-hand side. Uh, hey, it might be on the right-hand side later. We're getting some rework done to the website. But uh, what? L- yeah, no, look Ooh. at the website. You'll see some links to donations and uh, recurring donations that you could set up to help us out. And folks who did that include Todd Sparger, jo- Jeff Gunstone, George Denton, Craig Shaver, Cameron Nagelkop, Alan Little, Robert DeVries, and uh, Robert says, he, he's you know longtime um, friend of the show, he says, get Matt a taco, please. Not after that comment. He is no longer a friend of the show. <laughs> he ruined can, it. Can I, can I have it then, Matt? Can I have no, actually, no, I was just thinking, I'm like, I, I, if I can get two tacos, that would be even better. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the other thing that you might want to do is go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and enter into our monthly giveaway. And this month we're giving away a uh, access to a project on the guild as well as a t-shirt. And next month we'll have something different. And the month after that will be something different. And then we'll probably repeat it again. Because there's only nice. three of us. There's only so much variety we can provide here. So that's like give it away, give it away, give it away now? And then give it away, give it away, give it away again later. Awesome. That's yeah, great. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, so good. let's uh, let's jump into what's on the bench. What's been going on in our shops? For me, it's all about assembly. I have a feeling, um, wow, I'm just looking at the list here. I know all three of us must have been doing some assemblies <laughs> recently. Because, uh, Matt, I think I just saw some pictures on Facebook of yours, so hopefully this won't be too redundant. But finally bringing the case, um, the cases together for the chest of drawers and the nightstand and just kind of seeing this thing come to life. Uh, this, this project in particular just had a lot of little pieces all over the place. And when they're all finally together and off the bench and off the assembly table and off the floor, it just feels good just to have all these pieces glued together. And thankfully, it's all square and it's not wobbly and all the feet touch the ground. So feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> Can't complain. And I'll tell you what, this, and I use epoxy all the time. People have seen me use it on the show many times. I am like addicted to the stuff. I'm, I'm hooked on it because I'm terrified not to use it on, on more complicated glue ups anymore because the glue just seizes up so fast here in Arizona if it's a water-based glue. So I'm just, I'm, even when I don't need to, I probably am like leaning on it a little bit more than I should. You know, it's funny because uh, you did you had a picture up. I think it was it was either over at Facebook. Yeah, well, you're not on Instagram, are you? I am. 
okay, it was one of those locations in a social media type atmosphere that you had a picture up of you pumping the epoxy. And my first thought was, we got to get this guy some help. I mean, this <laughs> it's, is just it's become a, a level of addiction that is not funny anymore. Well, th- that video. If I remember correctly, the soundtrack that went with that video was uh, rather entertaining. Yeah, I, I, I did my own sound effects. Let me see if it actually play. <laughs> That's good, right? So there's two uh, things I'm going to recommend. One would be WD-40 for the squeak and maybe some Imodium AD. Yeah, it was just that I was recording it and I'm like, you know, it'd be funny if I like actually made my own sound effects as I did this. And uh, it, it made it into the, the guild video that's coming out on Friday. So bonus lucky, for those people. Lucky guild members. <laughs> right? That's what you get when you pay money. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Matt. So what about you? What's going on? Uh, well, just for the sake of the listeners, it's pretty much very much a similar situation, although I was using just the regular PVA glue. And I had plenty of moments where I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's starting to dry. I can see it skinning. But thankfully, and I managed to capture almost 100 percent of the panicked glue up. And I, I did a very good job when I was editing the video. It's going to be coming out in the video to be released this Friday as we're recording this. Uh, I, I put on a really good face, so you can probably notice the beads of sweat slowly forming on my forehead <laughs> and then showering down as I was running around to make sure that everything was getting in place. So it, it went really well. You'll get to see it almost in full real time. And the funny thing is at the end of the video, I say something like, this video is probably going to be like 40 minutes. Uh, because I just wanted to get it all done and be com- completed with it. It actually turned out to be 30 minutes. So I was 10 minutes uh, too too long in my, in my thinking of it. But yeah, it's – and the nice thing is for once, this is another one of those knock on wood. Just like you, things are square. Things are touching properly. Nice. There's this weird thing going on that like when, when I checked for square, everything's in square and this never happens. <laughs> That's a good feeling though. It is. So I think it had a lot to do with when I was getting the, the table ready – to put the glue up on, I actually took the time to like level it out and maybe mm. put shims in place so that at least the surface was square. I figured if I had at least one square or a flat surface and nice and level in every direction, it might help out. And it turned out that that I think that benefited me, but I don't know how else the rest of it turned out square because usually my joinery is <laughs> off just a little bit. It was a woodworking miracle, Matt. It, it was. I think it's because the three of us apparently were all in the same thing, so we were channeling each other's energy. Yeah, must be. So what's going on I with think you, so. I think it's um, Wood Talk Karma. It's just finally caught up I because so. um, I am working on – I'm going out of town next weekend, so I'm kind of desperately trying to get the third of the three commission job that I got from this lady. <clears throat> trying to, I was trying to get it all at least glued up. Um, I know that I'm going to have some cleanups to do later. The third piece is a wall shelf, and it's based in the Chippendale style. So it's got a kind of a pierced side to it, a fretwork-looking side, and two drawers on the bottom. And it was it was the same type of thing where I, the case went together, like, perfectly. <laughs> I was just nice. like, wait a minute, who did this work? Like, <laughs> did, <laughs> whose, whose work was this? It was just one of those cool moments where – Kind of like Mark said, when the parts just come together and suddenly instead of seven different parts, 12 different parts, you have one part. And just, you know, everything went really smoothly on the glue up. And I just kind of had this very proud moment where I was like, look how far I've come. (laughs) (laughs) It was nice. It's just and especially with handwork, because, you know, each piece is done individually. 
Uh, I milled each piece individually. I cut it to width individually. I did do the fret work with it ganged together because that's just stupid to try to do that twice. And, um, you know, all the joints were were cut individually and it just kind of all came together. Uh, It's not that I didn't do a dry fit, but even the dry fit went really well. So, yeah, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) I'm trying (laughs) to figure out what my next project should be after this and something that I don't care about because inevitably the universe is going to bite me. Yeah, let's not brag too much here. Right, uh, the pendulum will swing the other way. I don't know about you guys, but that whole idea of bringing everything together—it's it, so funny how it doesn't matter how big or small your or how big or small your shop is. I almost thought I was saying like how small or small your shop is, <laughs> but regardless of the size of your shop, it's funny how when you have all of these parts and they finally come together, and you're looking at that space that they were originally occupying when they were separate, and you're like. How did I get so much space? Where did this come from? Everything looks cleaner, definitely. I'm always just paranoid because I've got these parts laying around. And, you know, I've gone as much as I think, well, you know, I don't want to do too much smooth planing right now because I might ding it up later. They're pretty cleaned up. And like with the the frets on sides to this um, little, I don't even know what you call it. I guess it's a cabinet. Um, It's an open-faced cabinet. Mm -hmm. Um, Shelf, that's what it's called. (laughs) There you go. I've heard of those. (laughs) It's it's a shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was the ultimate brain freeze. (laughs) Um, The the fret work was pretty detailed on that, so I really didn't want to have to go back and clean a bunch of that stuff up. But still, I end up with, with pretty clean pieces sitting around just destined to get dinged or something dropped on them or scraped across something and screwed up. And uh, it's nice once you get it all glued into one piece because then you can finally stop like being careful where you set stuff because you're going to damage something. Totally. Uh, And I'll tell you what, this particular one for me is, was just really bad because it's a chest of drawers and two nightstands. And generally speaking, each one of those represents a project that normally would be the only thing in the shop at that time. But I'm trying to knock these out really fast. So I effectively have three projects all with like very similar parts, just sitting around waiting for me to drop something on them. Uh, Thankfully, I'll tell you what, Babinga hard stuff. It would actually take quite a bit for me to do serious damage with them, uh, but you know maybe drop drop a chisel straight on might be a, a bit of an issue. But it isn't like working with uh, I don't know cherry or pine or something well, a little bit soft. And this was mahogany, and that stuff is really soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Do you guys ever end up with like an extra spare part, and you're like, where'd this come from? <laughs> yes, every single time. <laughs> And then I just throw it away. All right, let's uh, let's move into what's new. Got some stuff to share with you guys. Stuff that's been happening. Now, you probably, if you've been online, uh, Facebook or Twitter, you probably saw the links to the Ellen Design Challenge finale debacle. And we've got a couple of links for you to watch. The I guess there's the article initially that said that there was the issue, and then a couple days later, uh, they had the guy on. Now, let me just recap this real quick. The winner was selected as this gentleman. I can't re- even remember the dude's name. He Tim. was, what? what is it? Tim. Tim, Tim McGlellan or something? McGlellan, yeah. Yeah, so he was the winner. And then they, the way it was edited, they quickly cut it and then moved to an updated sort of thing where they were explaining to the uh, the woman who was second place, essentially, that she actually won because the other dude was disqualified because his finale piece that he built looked way too similar to someone else's work that, that was already done in the past. And they showed the pictures. And so what wound up happening was the way that, he, that the uh, people handled this was really odd. So HGTV started to take a whole lot of flack about it and, uh, you know, because the internet blows up about anything and everything. Uh, they were getting on their case about that. But then there was this overriding 
copying issue. And here's the thing, since we have talked about this in the past, maybe one of you guys while we're chatting sometime, because I, I will get totally screwed up if I do it, but see if you can find a time in the past where we talked about this, about borrowing ideas and uh, you know taking inspiration from other people's work, because that's about where the conversation would go if the three of us were to talk about this right now. So I know a few people requested that we discuss it. We're not going to go into any sort of detail on that, because I think we really have beat that horse dead in the past. Um, And the video, I do recommend watching it because the video is a little bit more even handed in the way it was handled by Ellen and giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting things to think about as you build your furniture and take inspiration from other people's work. For sure. So uh, we'll put the links in there for you to check it out. And hopefully we'll have a link for you as well to a previous episode where we discuss this stuff. I think it was Wood Talk 113. 113. Chuck Norris ruins the poll. Hmm, okay, we'll have to double check that, uh, but that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I have no empirical evidence to back that up <laughs> other than a Google search. Yeah, it sounds so. good. Sounds good to me. All right, so Scotty H. sent in a link here. He says, I was listening to episode 172 and you guys talked briefly about 3D printing. Well, this video from Switch and Lever goes over some detail about building custom branding irons via Shapeways.com 3D printing service. Looks cool. And it's a YouTube video. We'll put that link in the notes. And I haven't even watched it. So I assume it's not porno. <laughs> well, we'll find out when the flag starts coming back in. <laughs> Actually, we'll, on our next kickback, we'll find out for sure. That's, there you go. that's definitely one of those. Well, we have another one here. Mike sent uh, in a link. And it says uh, the title is Selling Our Goods as Hobbyists. There's always so much interest and discussion about this topic. And I happened upon this video on YouTube that I thought had some real good, simple, common sense items that I thought was worth sharing with you guys. Now, again, this is one that I started to watch, and I can guarantee it is not of a not-safe-for-work type uh, topic. It looks pretty interesting. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to actually uh, watch it because it's like about 30 minutes in length. So, hmm. uh, But it looks pretty good. He definitely has a bunch of items laid out there, and it looks like he even talks a little bit about uh, pricing. So it's a good opportunity to head over there and see what's going on. Very cool. Yay, pricing. All right, this comes from Dan. He says, hey, guys, thought you might find this article interesting. And it's from the Art of Manliness website. And it is, let's just, let me, let me sum up. It is an article written from kind of a DIYer, non-woodworker on buying lumber. Um, and it is really well done. He goes over all of the uh, the softwood grading, goes over the, you know, how to read the stamps on the boards and what it actually means. He goes over hardwood grade, and it's a very nice kind of reference post, but it is written from the perspective of someone that, you know, he, he's not a woodworker. He doesn't claim he's a woodworker. So it's one of those articles that I really have a hard time with because it's really good at a 10,000 foot level and really, really inaccurate if you get any closer than that. Hmm. So, um, it, it, and not to say that it's, it's, it's bad. It does serve a purpose. Um, just recognize that as you get a little bit deeper, there's going to be exceptions to every single rule that he brings out. So start so you should your, only read it while you're flying. Is that what you're saying at the yes. 10,000 level? <laughs> Only, only when you're way up high in the air. There you so, go. It's just one of those articles that I can never write because I overanalyze everything when I'm writing. And it's like, oh, if I don't mention that, 
someone on YouTube will. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Trying to cover so, all your bases. <laughs> that's that's really what it comes down to. It's not my not my inability to write. It's just, you know, eight years of posting stuff online. Yeah, exactly. You're gun shy. <laughs> but anyway, I, I highly recommend checking it out because it does lay out all the grading stuff. Uh, he spends a lot of time on softwood grading, which to me is an, is an exercise in futility because softwood grading is madness. Cool. Cool. All right, got one All here right, from. Yeah, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> got one here from David. Uh, he says this is an article about a furniture maker in St. Paul. Would like to hear your opinions on this. In the slideshow, he's quoted as follows: "I get hassled on price sometimes." He said, "Some people will say, really, isn't that a little much?" And I'm like, "What do you make?" I'm sure my hourly rate is a lot lower than theirs. And it's a New York Times article. It's a little bit long. Uh, I'll admit that when I first opened this up and saw the link and saw how many paragraphs there were, I uh, I went to do something else. And <laughs> just then, just go to the bottom and read the last sentence because the last sentence is quite powerful. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's good. It's just way longer than it needs to be for what this article is trying to accomplish. Uh, it is a very interesting perspective. It, frankly, it's not anything that most of us who've tried to sell our stuff, it, nothing surprising in here. The bottom line is it's difficult to make a living at this stuff. And if you want to survive as a custom furniture maker, you have to charge appropriate prices that help you make a profit. And that's really what the gist of the article is, but definitely goes into a lot more detail about this particular guy's experience. Uh, what's his name? Scott McGlasson uh, and his logic and ideas behind his pricing strategy, why he does it this way, why he has to do it this way and how a lot of people, you know, just how the numbers stack up. Um, so, so it is interesting reading. It's just a little bit lengthy. It sounds like one of those things like, Mark, I'm sure maybe you, you've had this where in the medical field you have those abstracts and all these uh, articles that you're supposed to read in journals. Sure. I don't know about anybody else in the medical field, but the only thing I read is the little summation at the top <laughs> of the article. <laughs> yeah. And then I skip the remaining 25 pages. Yep. Yeah. In most cases, you can kind of get away with that. Right. All right. Let's move on to our poll of the week. The new poll is not up, so I can't announce what that one is yet. But last week's poll was, have you ever purchased tools from a woodworking show? And here's some of the primary results here. The biggest numbers, 33% said, never been to a woodworking show. That's kind of telling. Uh, 30% oh. said, I bought, but not a lot. And 29% said, hundreds of dollars worth. And there are a bunch of smaller, very low percentage answers. So uh, if you go to the Wood Whisperer website, look for that poll, and you'll find the rest of them there. And we'll have a new poll up probably by tomorrow. Yeah. That uh, you Have you ever out. participated in a woodworking poll? That, that would yeah. be good. I, and I would be surprised. Actually, it would be funny to see how many people said no. Right. Do you find that the woodworking poll is effective and useful for your time? <laughs> well, we know we know the answer to that one. Come on now. You know what? The, the previous one, the uh, 29% that said hundreds of dollars worth, that tells you that these are, um, are younger people because if they were older uh, individuals, they'd have been like tens of dollars worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. They shopped at the peach, uh, peach tree booth, right? Like they went to peach tree. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. You know, I think I know why there's no new poll this week, and I have to say congratulations to our buddy Tom. Ayavina, he just took a new fancy big job. Yeah, he did. The, uh, uh, across the bay, I think, right? Over somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in Tampa. Somewhere nearby, but not where he was before. Yeah, congratulations so to Tom. Tom. Yes. And that's actually... Finally, uh, he finally wore them down. That's that's actually not the reason, though, because I, I didn't even think about the job change and that asking him to rewrite a poll and make a new one might have been an inconvenient time for that. Uh, but the first poll came up, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but it was one of those things that made me feel weird asking the question. And I said, yeah, let's do something else that feels a little... Going. 
going back to Matt, it's is it have your joints ever been imp- improperly touched? <laughs> no, it wasn't sexual in nature. It was like dead family members. <laughs> your joints improperly touch? Yeah, it was. It wasn't. Uh, it just made me feel weird. Anyway, so I've been hanging on to that since what's on the bench. So good job, good job. All right, let's move into our kickback. The first one we have here is actually a voicemail kickback from Eric. Oh, I like these. Hey, this is Eric from uh, Gilbert, Arizona, and I just had some some feedback on the tools or class. Um, I don't have access to a joiner and planer, and it's one of the biggest frustrations that I have is, uh, well, either being stuck with expensive uh, home center lumber or um, just having having lumber that I don't really have anything to do with um, makes projects really tough. Having access to it is great, but uh, I would say I would go for the tools, um, without a doubt. Now, in the the original question, I think that he had alluded to only being able to purchase one, either the joiner or the planer. Um, You know, I don't know where you could get an 8-inch joiner and planer for $1,000. If you know, let me know, because I love that. Um, But it, it seemed like it was kind of a one or the other thing. Um, and that's back to, like, joiner or planer first. And uh, I think you guys have talked about planer first before, but uh, I just wanted to give you that feedback. Thanks. All right. Thanks for that, Eric. You know, you could get a 24-inch joiner and a planer at Lee Nielsen for, what, about $800? But I'm bum. <laughs> well, uh, actually, you can get a... tool jerk. It- had to say it. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that you said anything, Shannon. That's horrible. (laughs) Actually, he brings Uh, up a good point. Didn't we mention this afterwards that we were mistaken in our interpretation that he actually wasn't getting both of those tools for a thousand. He did mean one of them. Right. Yeah. I think it was uh, just the way he worded it. He didn't use the Oxford comma. So it was unclear. Even still, I think the argument or our discussion probably wouldn't have changed much if that price was 2000 or even 1500 or, you know, something that would include both of those tools. I think our, our comments would still stand. Right. Well, actually, you know, you can get a jet eight inch jointer slash planer combo, uh, which is both the jointer and planer, um, for, let's see here. Uh, it's $500 at one location I'm looking at right now. Mm -hmm. I did not have very good luck with their six inch version of this. So I can't say anything about the eight inch version. Uh, but it's definitely something I'm, just want to throw out there. You know, you know what's amazing? It's a jointer and a planer, yet somehow neither. Right, exactly. You're like, this Think about at it. least could do one job right. <laughs> Think about it, people. You know uh, what it's amazing for is using it as a sawhorse. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, All right, well, let's move on to this next one. And this came from Dave from New Jersey, or NJ. I'm going to assume that's New Jersey. It is, and to Dave- those of us from New Jersey. Oh, in that case, I'm sorry that I just offended all of the Garden State. Yeah, it's not uh, not well known, though, but go ahead. Oh, NJ. Okay, well, in that case, yo, NJ. Uh, (laughs) So just listen to the recent episode, and I have some kickback about using wide boards. Something you left off and is a huge limiting factor is thickness. My father-in-law recently gave me two 8-foot-long, 18-inch-wide red oak boards to use for a bookcase I'm building. I had my heart set on keeping them as wide as possible. However, they were milled at four-quarter thickness and were not flat at all. If I were to mill them up in that state, I would have finished with 3-8-inch thick boards at best. This is too thin for my project, so I made the decision to cut them up. I ripped the I ripped the quarter and rifts on sections off to use for the legs and rails, and I intend intend to use the remaining center portions for the top shelves and side panels. Once I mill them, I should be able to get them back to th- get them to three quarters of an inch. 
Had the boards been much thicker in the first place, I would have left them wide and made a table or something that would show off their width. But thickness in this case trumps width. Just thought I'd toss that out there since I don't think the original question mentioned the thickness of the original boards. Hmm. Cool. All right. Most mills, I think most mills will try to keep it thicker just because, I mean, you think about it. If you've got a wide board, it's come out of a wide tree, right? And you saw out a thin piece. It's the same thing would happen if you resawed. Uh, a wide board you get two thin wide boards and they turn into potato chips real quick so mm. yeah most it it is rare to find like a 20 inch wide board that is less than probably six quarter at least at least in my journeys i haven't seen it i've seen some babinga that's pretty darn wide and that yeah you know, fairly exotics kind of but that's that's the exception yeah. um the we skipped over one here mike also wrote in and said, I listened to the question about cutting cutting wide boards. We had a mahogany board, 26 inches by 16 feet long. Uh, we built harpsichords, and I needed the color to match throughout the instrument. I would have made, or it would have made a great tabletop, but it made an incredible harpsichord, and that's uh, 26 inches wide. That's music to my ears. Hey, yo. That's a, that's a, that's a wide board. That's funny, Matt. You're good. The impressive thing is the 16 foot long. It's hard to get that stuff that long. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. All right, let's move into our voicemail. We actually have two voicemails today. First one here is about shrinking rubber. Whoa. Well, uh oh. From uh-oh. Sean. Hey, guys. This is Sean down in uh, Houston, Texas. It doesn't usually get very cold down here, but this afternoon I was having the really difficult time with my spindle sander and my planer, uh, neither one of which were working correctly. The planer wouldn't feed stock, and the spindle sander, the sanding sleeve, kept coming off. Uh, I've used both of these tools many times. I've never had any problem with them before. Is it possible the cold weather is making the the feeder wheels or and the rubber spindles shrink and uh, making them a little bit useless? Uh, Mark, I know you're in Arizona, so probably this isn't going to be much of a question for you. But um, for the two of you who actually get cold weather, uh, do you have any thoughts? Thanks a lot. All right. Well, I'll let Matt take this one, although I think he pretty much answered his own question. Yeah, um, I, I definitely have run into some issues like that before when it gets cold. And it, it's I think it's just the, the humidity sometimes as the machine starts to warm up or something. I don't know. They They get a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's rubber, so as it gets cold, yeah. it is probably going to, even just by a little bit, just enough, uh, right. shrink and cause, you know, especially those drum sleeves to just slide up and down and not grip as well as they did when it was warm. Exactly. Imagine it's more of the actual hardness of the rubber. It gets, you know, more very, brittle. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Much harder exactly. and brittle, and it doesn't have that kind of spongy grip to it. That yeah. Warm rubber has, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Because when it, when it's warm, it's amazing how much friction it can actually have in there, and it just holds on like crazy. But yeah, when it's cold, it's just like, don't touch me. Yeah, if there's anyone who's familiar with the friction softness of rubber, it's Matt. That's right. Yep, I put my suit on, and I'm like, it's different <laughs> whether it's winter or summer. All right, let's uh, hear from John. He's got a question about Purple Heart. Hi, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Uh, it's John calling from Victoria, British Columbia. A question for you regarding Purple Heart. Uh, now, Mark, I know you've done some um, bits of your one of your older benches with Purple Heart, and Shannon, this is probably aimed at you because it's more of a hand tool question. Um, I've got a big piece of Purple Heart that's uh, twelve quarter by a little <laughs> over twelve inches by thirty inches. Most of it's going to become chops for a leg vise and for uh, another vise I'm working on. But what I want to do is take one of the offcuts and I'm going to make um, a cabinet maker's mallet. 
and I'm going to use that for the head. And I'm just wondering what it's like to work with Purple Heart, if there's any uh, advice on things I should do, especially with hand tools, um, anything I should do, if I should coat it with something to keep the color from changing, any of that sort of thing. Anyway, I'd appreciate very much if you could uh, give me some advice on it and uh, look forward to hearing it on the show. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Yes, make, make a different change. Go with something else. <laughs> Pick a different species. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Mark, was mm-hmm. the, the purple heart in your old bench, I'm trying to remember, it was pretty brown when you got rid of that bench, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it retained a little bit of its purple color. Like you could tell it was purple heart, but there's no doubt about it over time. Right. Just air and, and UV is going to turn it into a browner version of right. purple. Yeah, and, I've, and I've heard that if you use a kind of a UV protective finish like a, or a spar varn or something with a higher solid content, it will help keep the purple longer. But there's nothing you can do to keep to keep the purple. Yeah. Eventually, it will turn brown. Um, stupid just, oxidation it's going to do yeah, what it's going to do it is what it is there's the the extratives in the wood react with the air and all kinds of stuff in themselves and they turn it brown over time um the purple heart is a hellish wood to work with hand tools <laughs> <laughs> just just going to throw it out there um i've got a couple of saw bents in my shop and um the the top crossbar is made out of purple heart and mainly because I had a piece of purple heart left over from my power tool days. And I thought, oh, that'll look cool with the white oak. And um, it just tears. I, I can't read the grain on this stuff. It just, and I, I don't think there is really a definite one. Um, it changes directions on you all the time. I mean, it's definitely an interlocked grain to begin with. So it can be a little bit difficult. Um, if if he's making a mallet with it, in other words, he's going to have to bore, uh, cut a mortise somehow for the handle, bore it out. Don't try to chop it out. Um, remove as much wood as you can with an auger bit and pair it to the line and keep your sharpening stones real close because it's just, I don't know. <laughs> Let's go back to what Matt said. Reconsider your species. <laughs> it's just, it's a really tough wood to work and it it to me it's harder to work than like its hardness says it should be um the janka hardness on purple heart is 2500 or something like that um so it's hard but i mean i've worked with lignum vitae which is a lot harder and to me it's easier to work than purple heart so something weird about purple heart going on (laughs) mysterious wood yeah you know Samantha loves the purple heart ring that I made for her a couple of years ago, and she's asked for a few more. And my response is like, no, never (laughs) again. You know what? That's a good idea. Turn the mallet. Make a turn mallet because purple heart works just fine on the lathe. You know, for what I was doing. Speaking of (laughs) speaking of hard woods, Wangi and Babinga, the two that I'm working with right now, both also very hard. Um, but man, does Wanky splinter a lot. I touched it for all of five seconds to to get some boards on the assembly table and lay them out for drawer fronts. And I'm digging this awful little baby splinter right now that's really distracting me out of the tip of my thumb. And oh, stupid Wanky. Yeah, Wanky is <laughs> a weird species. I do it, not like. If you look at the the technical specs on Wanky, it makes no sense. Like, yeah. Because it's so it's so dense yet not. <laughs> it's it, like, it, but it works that way too. Like yeah. it has this thing where it's not as heavy as you'd think it would be, but it is definitely a very, very hard wood and it's difficult. Yeah. It's hard on the tools, but yet it's like cardboard in, in some senses or like it's over dried 
is kind of how yeah. it feels when you're working it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's a weird, it definitely is a weird one, no doubt about it. And it's it takes it personally, and that's why it gives me splinters, because I talk crap about it. I was just going to say, yeah, it, it is coming after you. It's like, you know, you talk smack about me, I'm splintering. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to get under your skin. I'm splintering. We, meanwhile, we've taken John's question about Purple Heart, completely disregarded it, and talked about Wingate. Nah, you, you already answered it. You told him to use a different one. Perfect. That's right. There you go. And and don't use Wingy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move into email. I've got one here from Brian. He says, I have a very small shed shop that is about 75 feet off the back of my house. To set the family at ease, if anything were to happen, I was thinking about setting some type of alarm system with an easy-to-press button, similar to those uh, infomercials that, I've fallen, I can't get up, one of those. <laughs> um, Shannon turned 40. He's going to need one of those soon. That's true. Uh, he says, preferably a two-way kind of alarm that maybe I could mount somewhere in the shop and have the alarm speaker somewhere in my house or handheld for whoever's at home at the time. In your experience with all of the safety stuff that you've done over the years, have you found anything that could suit this purpose? So I've got two ideas, and they both might be terrible, but I'm going to throw them out there anyway. Let's hear them. Okay, first of all, a lot of the cordless phones that are out there that come That's with like... terrible. That, okay, skip it then. Um, so so you, you get the cordless phones that come with like a couple different bases. There's one main base station with the answering machine and a bunch of like other base stations you could put everywhere else. Uh, and you can get up to like five phones. A lot of them have paging features between the phones. And mm-hmm. it really depends on how far into the menu system that thing is. And you might have to look from model to model to find one that maybe has a dedicated button that allows you to page one of the other things. And that'd be a great way to have intercom sort of conversations between the two. And it does make an, you know, some of them can make an audible noise to say someone from one of the other phones is calling the main one in the main part of the house. So that's certainly an option for you. Short of that, there's another thing I thought about. And how about a wireless doorbell? A lot of these wireless doorbell systems, you you have a pretty substantial range. I have a link to one at uh, smarthome.com to a thousand foot range doorbell. And you can have that, you know, usually they have different tones that you can use. So find one that's particularly ominous or scary or something <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the, the most no, like basically you won't hear that any other time unless that button is, is pressed and you put that button in a vital location inside the shop, you hit it and someone in the house knows that something is gone wrong. So I think that actually might be a very, that's probably the simplest thing for you to do. And then it costs about 50 bucks and you've got yourself a little sort of alarm system in case something goes wrong. I have a totally different suggestion. Um, depending on like the type of work you're doing, because a sound may be a little tough. If you've got power tools running, you may never hear it. Um, a visual one could be a good idea too. Um, and this well, wait, just you're, comes You're going fresh. the other way, right? You're, you're assuming there's, because I'm assuming there's an emergency in the shop. He needs help. He hits a button. In the house, right. they don't hear the power tools. That's true. That's a good point. But if, if you're thinking, thinking about the, he needs to hear an, an emergency in the house, then that's a different story. Well, it, it could go both ways. And I just had a personal experience with this. I've been playing around with those smart LED bulbs, um, and I'm installing them in my shop. And I've got uh, four of them in the shop right now and a couple in the main part of the house. And Philips makes a little, they call it a tap, and it's basically just a switch, but it's a, a portable switch that you can carry around with. You can mount it on the wall or whatever, and you tap it and you can program it to do things. You can hmm. just turn off a light, turn on a light, or turn on a specific scene, and you can program in. That scene could be flashing light. It could be whatever. And the other day I was down in the shop and Heather was upstairs and needed me and she grabbed the tap off the wall and my light started flickering on me. Nice. And it was really cool. And you just immediately started dancing? 
<laughs> oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> broke into a dance, but then I knew that Heather needed something, and then it occurred to me I could do the same thing because I could I could turn the lights off, you know, several places around the house, or I could change whatever scene they're showing. Um, it could go to deep red, emergency, emergency. So that's that could a, be another one. I think that's, that's that is visual. another a sa- another uh, safety issue. We and I, I don't know if we've talked about this in the past, but I know we've mentioned how like loved ones and family members coming into the shop while there are tools running in and of itself is a safety issue. So Mm -hmm. having that sort of, you know, recording light kind of thing or something where someone can push something that lets you know that, Hey, somebody's trying to get my attention. As soon as I'm done running this board, let me turn the tools off. Um, so that's a a very similar safety issue, but the other direction. Although my solution, I got to tell you is a hell of a lot more expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At about 60 bucks a bulb more expensive. Right. So yeah, there's Yikes. a couple suggestions for you and let us know what you decide to do, Ryan. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting to hear what, what people come up with also. Cool. You know, I also wonder why you need a thousand foot range on a wireless doorbell. Big, like, big house. Range between what? The button and the chime? Yeah, mine is about 15 feet. <laughs> right where mine are in, in my house. It's usually the, the chime, chime like by the door. Yeah, it's usually near the door. So I don't know. Maybe the extra range allows you to go, you know, it's better going through multiple walls. You can put it on a chain around his neck, like Flava Flav. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Sweet. Well, hey, we have this, this next email. And this came in from Young. And Young says, I'm about to build a shaker-style trestle table along the lines of Chris Schwartz's plan in popular woodworking. I'm making it a bit longer than his plan calls for so as to accommodate three chairs on each side. So my question is, is it best to make the stretcher long enough so that the three chairs completely sit inside the feet? And I'm going to speak totally from personal experience on this and from recommendations from my family and the trestle table that I created years and years ago before I ever understood that there was like design concepts and established dimensions, uh, the feet for the legs on, on, this, on my trestle table in the Vandalist household sit right where anybody who's sitting uh, – it only fits two chairs on each side. You can put three, but you're really, really snug with each other. Uh, and the way that they're located, your feet are sitting on top of the feet. And so it kind of – does a lot of damage to uh, toes and stuff because it's a big, thick foot where I have it. Hmm. So based, though, on the, the the recommendations for dimensions per chair for a table, so if you're planning on having whatever number of chairs on there, they always recommend like 23 to 30, in, 30 inches of spacing per person or per chair on the thing. Uh, I, just, I guess I would figure since you indicated that you were going to have three chairs Per side, that means that you'd probably want about what, like uh, 90 inches between the feet would be like the minimum that would guarantee it. I, I think if you did that, if you had the stretcher longer to accommodate it so that the feet for sure would be on the outside, comfortably on the outside of those three chairs, you could easily accomplish this just by by lengthening that stretcher. My other suggestion might actually be, though, when it comes to the stretcher, this is where you may need to adjust it proportionally so that it doesn't look like a weird, long, thin thing on there. You might actually want to beef it up just a little bit. But I can tell you from personal experience uh, and from my loved ones, you will want to make sure that those feet are nowhere near their feet. (laughs) It's amazing how much a little detail like that after it's all made and done and you're using it and you're just like, what was I thinking? Like this is totally in the way. This is a problem. Like, yeah, it's good that he's thinking about this ahead of time. Yeah. And the nice thing is interesting uh, because I'm looking at the book that Brandon Gore recommended 
the guy from Framework that was on the show a little while ago. Yes. Um, and it has a specific layout for a table with a place setting for three on either end. And it does recommend to put the legs outside of the people on the side, not at least, I mean, surely there's comfort there, but also it's stacking the legs close enough to the end so that people who sit on the ends of the table don't have like a, a really massive overhang so that the, the table could possibly sag or something over time. Right. Cause uh, they were, cause I what, know the, the one thing I was looking at, maybe this is in the book, is they're saying like 12 to 14 inches per end, right. which I was thinking, I'm like, man, that doesn't seem like a lot of room. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, that's about right, because you're not like sitting belly right up. Well, most people aren't sitting belly right up against <laughs> Depends the, on your belly. the table. And that's <laughs> right. what I was. Yeah, I'm like, I'm belly up on the table regardless. <laughs> this recommends 14 to 18 inches of space in front of you. Which okay. is why I think most dining tables are around 36 inches wide. Because you put one person on either side, you've got room for their arms and legs, and then a pretty centerpiece. Well, you know, because the, the one thing I did think about when we were when I was thinking about this question and coming up with the, the links and everything, I know a big concern that my family definitely had when I was first talking about the trestle table was what if you lean against the one end? Is it if there's not the leg close enough to that end, you know, it's going to just cantilever right up. And the next thing you know, the food's all over the wall, which I thought would be cool. But yeah, they didn't think that fun. was going to be cool at all. <laughs> so but yeah, oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, my mistake is probably the thing that you shouldn't be doing. So. <laughs> Good job. Learn from, learn from my mistake. <laughs> cool. This comes from Brian. He wants to know if any of us use the Cutlass plugin for SketchUp. And if so, have we been successful with it? He says, I, I feel like a jerk for whining about free software, but I've struggled with it for a while and have yet to have it spit out numbers that are anything close to useful. I've had to resort to making my own cut list like some sort of pre-spreadsheet savage. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> My projects are getting complex enough that having a generated cut list would be super helpful. Now, um, I have played around with it, and I don't like it. And I'm going to be honest that it's kind of a grumpy old man reason. <laughs> it's different, and I don't like it. I'm afraid of it. Um, it I just it didn't really do anything for me. It, it spit out numbers that were perfectly fine, but my design process is so... I so rely upon kind of feeling my way through what these parts should be. Where am I going to get that part? What kind of grain structure do I want in that part? So having it just kind of spit out parts skips a lot of that for me. And that kind of, I don't know, um, self-discovery design review phase. When I skip over that, I feel like it bites me in the butt later on because I didn't spend enough time considering where those specific parts need to be what size they need to be do i need to make it a little bit longer um i run into this a lot where when you start to consider the sizes of the parts kind of divorced from the actual construction certainly there's variables that happen while you're building and that can cause differences but i've also found that just the order of how i do things the order of of whether i cut the mortise first or the tenon first or um, have I assembled the case before I drop in that dovetail stretcher that changes things? It also changes how I lay it out. So maybe I want that piece to be four or five inches longer to make it easier to cut that joint later. And by going through that kind of manually, I figure these things out and then I go to my cut list and I go, okay, you know, the, the part only needs to be 13 inches long, but it would be a lot easier if I cut it around 18 because then I've got room to clamp it while I'm sawing out that curve 
or something like that. So, so for that reason, I haven't really tried to like it very much um, because I don't know. I really like the design phase of projects, so I'm not interested in automating it at all. What about you guys? Have you ever used it? Mm, I think I used it once and then was kind of just frustrated with it a little bit. Uh, I don't know why I got frustrated with it. Maybe it was the same thing that curmudgeon in me was just like, this is <laughs> stupid. I'll just write it down on paper. <laughs> you know, uh, for our plans for the guild, uh, the guy that does work for me that helps me out, Scott, he's used the plugin and he said it worked fairly well for at least this last project that we did. And I don't know, maybe it works better if you're using solid stock versus, you know, like plywood where it's not, I don't know. I don't know exactly how the details of it or why you would run into problems with it, but he seemed to like it. And I don't know. And I'm, I kind of side with Shannon on this when it comes to actually using Cutlass, though. The only reason I'm doing it is because I have to give this Cutlass to people in the guild. And right. when I sit down to actually build this project, you know what I do? I print that Cutlass out. I take it in the shop with me. And then over the course of the project, I actually wind up remaking the Cutlass myself <laughs> yeah, right. in my own handwriting. And it's like, yeah, this is this is good for just like, let me just double check myself for reference. But so many things deviate from the Cutlass that, I mean, maybe the first thing I do is take a look and start cutting some stuff. But within minutes of starting that project, I'm generating my own cut list as I go, even when I've got the damn thing in front of me. Yeah, right? I've been doing the same thing on, on this project and previous ones, too. And I know we even talked about this on the show. Like, you know, do we actually use a cut list? Yeah, it, it, it's great as a, a a guide to help get you in the in the ballpark. But when it comes down to it, usually I'm like, hey, are those seats available? I'm going to go over there because these <laughs> ones work best for me. Yeah, I mean, even on the project right now, in fact, I was joking around uh, with Brian who did the the plans for the project I'm working on right now. And I said something the other day about, you know, I don't want to come across as being rude and I don't want to like shock you or anything, but I changed something. Do you think we need to change it? He's like, no, man, just do it, whatever. I'm like, good. I'm glad you felt the same way. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me, if I didn't write it down myself and come to the conclusion of the actual number myself, it feels like I'm flying blind or I'm taking, yeah. even though I may have made that list, I feel like I'm taking someone else's word for it and I need to write it down myself to confirm that, yeah, this is the measurement I need. Yep. Kind of nothing else, you could use the cut list plugin to give you that sheet to mark up and make notes on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, well, I and I wonder because it's been it's been several years since I sold off my power tools, but I I think it's kind of the same whether it's hand or power. But I know for a fact with hand tool projects, there's many times where you know, for example, you guys are both building cases with front runners or, or drawer blades or something like that. You know, the drawer blades are really narrow and really thin. So you could get them all out of one board or slice them up out of just leftover pieces. But for me, that's going to plane that board by hand and thickness it down by hand. I want one board that I can get to one thickness and then rip all the pieces out from there instead of trying to match the thickness on individual pieces with a hand plane. So my cut list would tell me, okay, you need six drawer blades that are two inches wide and three quarter inches thick. And what I really need is like, you know, a 12 inch wide board or at least right. an eight inch wide board that I can rip all those pieces out after I've milled it. Um, and that's something that um, I wouldn't have thought much about when I was using power tools. I would have, well, I would have milled it first before I ripped it on the table saw. But still, it's really easy to just throw it through the planer, throw them all through the planer at once. Yeah, even if they are ripped ahead of time, you, yeah, you could just run them through the planer. But I, I would so, do the same thing. It's easier to just plane the whole board and then rip them right. down afterwards. 
But it's those types of things when you get into the construction phase, those little shortcuts that either make joinery layout easier or make cutting lay- cutting the joinery easier that you don't think about when you're at that cut list phase that yeah. I just feel like it, it bites you every time. You know, I think if I were building something where, I don't know, maybe I've built it before or this is something that maybe it's a product line or of chairs or whatever where I'm doing this and I've done it a million times and here's the numbers. That is the kind of situation where I probably would rely a little bit more blindly and comfortably on a cut list. But it seems yeah. whenever I'm making projects now, this is it's usually the first time I'm making that thing. And in order to have my guard up and have my kind of have my wits about me, the way to do that is to be thinking about those numbers and never taking a chart's word for it. You know, well, so it makes you wonder where do cut lists come from? Do they, do they, is the origin from magazines? The cut list fairy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, b- before we had magazines that put out actual plans for other woodworkers to build, did anybody like talk about cut lists? Because what, what has happened with a magazine? Somebody has built it and documented it and then produced a cut list because, as Mark said, I've got to produce something to give to my customers. Well, I bet I you some of those – if we went back through some of those books, the uh, there's like, you know, like uh, – mechanical boy or something like that you know there's like all these books that have like projects and ideas for for various things for people to build i bet you there's probably one or two thing in there it it had to definitely be somewhere along the line somebody's like i really want to make this what do i need tell me i I would imagine that this stems from the first time someone had to tell someone else to cut the wood (laughs) <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you designed it, you came up with it. Now I'm going to get this dude over here to do the cuts. Well, he doesn't need to know what the ultimate plan is. He just needs to get the cuts to the right size. So here's right. your cut list. You know, I would imagine it stems from early shop work just as, yeah, a, as I mean, basic function. Just, just Multiple like any people. other mechanical drawing or something yeah. when somebody's working on it. Yeah, and, and, and here's engineered. the thing, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think no. ba- just the base, based on the way that the three of us happen to work, it's, it's something that doesn't fit the need that it might fit for some other people. So you know what? Here's the thing. If you have some thoughts on this and you really love and rely upon cut lists, give us some kickback on it. Either call the voicemail line or send us an email and let us know what you use the cut list for, how you incorporate it into your work, and at what point you stop looking at the cut list, if, if there is a point like that. Um, I would love to hear what you guys think about it. Yes. Yeah, what he said. All right. If you want to support this wonderful show called Wood Talk, you can do so. Go to woodtalkshow.com and look for those donation links. Set up a recurring or a one-time donation to help us out. We appreciate it. You can buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And also, if you want to, go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and get yourself something for free because we're giving away some stuff, I love the free. Yeah, you do. And you can also leave us an iTunes review. Excuse me. I needed to swallow. Uh, Just look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating just like South Dakota Dean, CCK7272, Waltz Wood, and Andy in Idaho did. And here's what Andy had to say. He says, my shop buddies, these guys get five stars because six wasn't an option. The detail and candor of their lighthearted conversations has become the best ongoing education and discovery process for my woodworking skills. It does hurt, excuse me, it doesn't hurt to hear the firsthand knowledge of Shannon's experience with the Lumber Barons, uh, Finkelstein, Hubert, and Schwartz, or listen to Mark and Matt discuss the details of whatever they choose to discuss that day. Uh, Tacos, most of the time. Usually, yes. Uh, He says, it's a great, entertaining, yet very informative show. Keep up the great work, guys. And a very sincere thank you. And thank you, Andy. I'm clicking, yes, this was a helpful review. It's sincere, you're welcome. Yes, exactly. 
Absolutely. Wow. I feel awesome now. We almost got a six star. Got to read those. That If you're ever feeling down, guys, go to iTunes and read those reviews. These people are uh, very supportive and we appreciate it. I need to read those yeah. on a Monday morning. Yes, you do. That's the, That was this morning. Anyway, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, topic, suggestion? Do you like cut lists? We, you know, we, we kind of discussed that. We'd like to hear what you have to say or not. Uh, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Bye.